0: Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks for downloading this podcast. And do yourself a favor to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. This time with his guitar in hand, He Who in 1991, debut album that would end up placing top 10 in the top 100 Canadian albums of all time, which is kind of the definitive sort of comprehensive book on the finest Canadian music ever made. The leader of that band would be here in the chair across from me. And you playfully called that Shakespeare My Butt. Where did that come from, by the uh,
1: way? It was the first, uh, like, I'm seeing a bit of a thread with the with the band, which is that the first idea always winds up being the name. We, we usually come up with a stupid idea.
0: A working title, as they say.
1: Yeah, and then come up with, and go, like, that can't be the title. So we go on and come up with 45 other ideas that are worse <laughs> and come back, circle back to the original idea.
0: <laughs> we'll come back to that in a second. This past November came out came a retrospective, look and listen to the lowest of the low in a box called Shakespeare, My Box. So that made sense. Yes. Not a stretch. I know a lot of people listening love making playlists. So if I were to make up a playlist right now featuring your music, I'd handpick artists that fit nicely alongside what you do. And here's the ones that come to mind whenever I hear your music. Elvis Costello. Right. Billy Bragg. Paul Westerberg. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Sure. Uh, Greg Keeler, even. Dandy Warhol's cracker david lowry hmm. and maybe even and this is i think this is positive because i think the first album was one of the greatest oasis right the songs are often stories they're odes they're celebrations they're laments they're investigations and they connect in fact you were voted songwriter of the year in 2000 and then again in 2015 by the readers of now magazine which is super cool ron hawkins is here welcome Hi, how are you? It's good to finally meet you. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing this forever, and you've been doing this forever, yeah. and somehow...
1: And here we are. It's one right. of
0: those elusive things that we never connected till today. Through a mutual friend, Catherine McCrae. is she a publicist?
1: She, uh, We hired her as a graphic designer ah. for the Shakespeare in My Box uh, retrospective vinyl collection. And uh, she did an incredible job, because as we were talking earlier, she was in England when we when exploded in Toronto. So yeah. she had really not you know, a very passing idea of what we were about. So we uh, gave her all kinds of old photos and posters and stuff like that. And she listened to the, you know, went to town on the music. And then sort of magically, psychically kind of put this book together that so amazingly depicted the way, the, the you know, the uh, the arc of the band that it was almost like she had been there. So strange. Yeah. Just
2: her feel for it was on. Vibe, but yeah.
1: That's cool. And she reached out to me and said, why don't
0: you... I said, yeah. So here you are. Thank you. You have your guitar. So uh, there's new songs, too. You're working on a new record. As I understand it, tomorrow after the gig tonight you do in Collingwood, you're back in the studio studio, to to, to carry on making this new album. Tell me a bit about it.
1: Yeah, it's a 14-song rant, I guess. It's a 14-song record that seems to be made up maybe half of sort of capital P political songs which I haven't done for a while and then the other half are sort of a, themes about people who don't feel comfortable in their skin you know trying to feel comfortable in the in the clothes that are them you know?
0: those themes then politics making the small P capital because you know the way the world is now which we'll talk about how does the other theme fit in It's just something else you're thinking about these people that don't fit so comfortably uh, no, I
1: just find I find that it's sort of the big P and the small P you know it's like oh. the, the way that You know, I keep hearing crazy statistics about how many kids are... I have a 12-year-old daughter. How many kids are on anxiety meds these days, as opposed to, like, when we were kids? And uh, it seems to be massively on the increase. And, you know, and then every day I turn around, I hear that devices, phones, and iPads and everything are making people depressed and and anxious. And, you know, so I I, I sort of tie them all together. It's sort of the corporate takeover of our lives and the sort of... uh, Divisification of our lives, where they you know, we're being very directed to consume and to be pushed onto these weirdly Orwellian-like uh, social media. You know, this, this social aspect of life that means don't talk to people face to face too much anymore; talk to them through a, you know, a, a device in between. Okay? I know. So I feel like somehow they're they're connected. You know, like that we have to get out of this. We have to untangle this mess that we're in, uh, both on a large scale, uh, with how. Corporations control pol- the politics of our societies. And then in our personal lives with, we need to get back in touch with each other.
0: When you're personally affected by something, you finally go, oh, wow, that does make sense. I thought it was a cliche before. And I'm talking about corporations and the corporate, an all-arching sort of uh, influence they have on our daily lives. I'm not suggesting that every person who works for a corporation is evil. But uh, the entity that is a corporation, by virtue of its existence and its mandate which is to make more money shareholder returns can be evil because when your only mandate is money more money more money and you have to feed the monster how can it be anything but evil at a mm-hmm. certain point because you everything goes by the wayside for that profit
1: yeah it's at the very least toxic you know and uh, thank you like, it's like i find it's like so many things that people create which is you know whether they're these devices that you know save us so much time and or put to good use, they can be. They can bring us together to ch- even fight against these things, like corporations. You know, like it's a lot easier to be in a, a political organization and get your cadres organized mm-hmm. through social media than it used to be back in the day by by telephone by word of mouth. So, you know, everything that has its negative side has its positive side as well, and maybe the solution to all of this divisiveness and and corporate control is built right in is baked right into it we can use it against itself in a way but I think the problem with them is that you know things like uh, corporations getting the same rights as human beings I mean it becomes a situation in which you're playing on the worst parts of human instinct to divide people because given the giant pile of money over here uh, or doing the right thing over there I mean the vast majority of people uh, have a very hard time making that decision
0: (laughs) And Ron tell me I'm wrong but isn't it that isn't that the only component of the whole
1: equation is the money or the need for money? Well I know and I guess that's the neoliberal uh, experiment too right is it like, to find more markets out in the world and again you know like some of that stuff you know it's it's a very weird entangled web because like you can hear things like in Bangladesh when they'll you know human rights abuses on a work level, how, how little people get paid, how the working conditions, then you talk to the people that are working in those factories and they're saying, this is the only thing here. <laughs> so it's like, because yeah. the game is already set up that way, <laughs> it's hard to, you know, sometimes things look like they're a boon when they're not, really, if we had things set up in a different way.
0: It's difficult to convince people that they shouldn't be treated this way when the alternative is, is, is nothing. Or, yeah, or no exactly. money. It's so fresh, right? The brand that, that people love because it's so goddamn cheap. Well, that comes at the price, too. Years ago, it was in India, if I'm not mistaken. Was it Bangladesh? Wherever it was, all yeah. uh, those people died because the goddamn roof fell in. Yeah. And then and then the corporation back in North America is like, well, that was sourced out to a third party. We didn't know about that. Well, you should have known
1: about that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why is it that if I don't shovel the snow on my sidewalk <laughs> in front of my house and somebody slips on it, I'm going to jail. <laughs> but if the roof falls in, and then, you know, on an industry that you own somewhere and you can just sort of, oh, well, I, we sourced it out to somebody else. Yeah. Not responsible for who you source it out to.
0: Loophole. Different people far, far away. The far, far away card gets played because, you know, we, we can't really check on them. Yeah. <laughs> Readily. It's not like down the street. It's not in Scarborough versus Toronto. It's halfway around the world. That was gross because, you know, I I became the guy that said, don't fucking shop there. Well, you can get a T-shirt for $6. I go, yeah, but what is the price of that T-shirt really? It's a fucking guy that died who was 12 years old in a fucking factory. Anyway, that Mm -hmm. makes me crazy. Your manifesto as it relates to the new record. Give me the nuts and bolts of that.
1: Yeah. Tell me more. Well, it's just that, you know, I grew up, I, I came to music from being a leftist. Like I, I grew up with the Beatles and, you know, like everybody else did, I came to music through singing and yeah. Beach Boys and the Beatles and everything. But I got very involved in, in the left when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old and became a Marxist and, and uh, was an activist and then w- didn't see the, the way in with music. And, you know, was told repeatedly by people in the left, you know, well, you know, Bob Dylan had to choose between the SWP and being a pop musician. And, you know, and I started to get involved And when I saw bands like The Clash, uh, you know, that was the first time I, I think I really put two and two together and thought, you know what, I could I could make all of my loves come together. here. I can write songs. I can make those songs be more than just pop songs on the radio that that don't mean anything or don't really add to the you know to the social welfare of anybody Mm -hmm. and uh, so that's where I think I started to get excited about being a musician and I started to write like crazy and I had a a band called Social Insecurity which was a straight edge punk rock band with my buddy from high school and then David Alexander who plays drums in Lois Low, was also in that band with us and uh, yeah so we spent years doing a lot of um, using our music to do a lot of benefit work and a lot of activist work and uh, you know building up a crowd and everything and and so that was my in. So I, I feel like that's always, no matter what I do with music, that always kind of informs it to some degree. I'm never too, I never stray too far from the fact that I want the music to be more than just uh, pop ephemera.
0: Yeah, like the early Beatles. To your point, a boy meets girl, boy wants girl, boy gets girl, boy loses girl. That has a place in pop and rock music, but 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 a limited place because you can't mm-hmm. do that in that alone.
1: Well, <laughs> and speaking of Billy Bragg, that's a great. He's a great example of somebody who. I'm not going to contradict what I just said, which is that, you know, he's known as a as a, a, commie pop musician. True. But really the the songs of his that I love the best, I think, are the love songs, you know, because he <laughs> writes an incredible love song. But I, I also think that the reason he li- writes a, a fantastic love song, and I think I kind of went to school on him early, and maybe I've stolen some of that from him, is that you, you, know, you can you can write smart love songs. They don't have to be strictly, you know, Moon, Spoon, June stuff, you know. You can, <laughs> right. you can invest it with... Well, the kind of love affairs that we have in the real world, you know, it's
0: and they can be metaphorical too.
1: Yeah, metaphors, and they're fraught with issues. And,
0: and if you go to a party and the only thing you talk about is uh, economics and politics, you become a bore. So you have to have other components to your yeah, life. Course, as yeah. you do, you have a child, you have loves, you have you have you have a complex uh, soul and uh, personality. So there's there's yeah, and more than yeah, i like
1: than to laugh at it. You know, I mean, we're there. making we make we're making these this as I say, pretty political record. But I mean, there's an awful lot of punchlines in it as well. Sure, know, good. I like, I like to invest that.
0: <laughs> Have some fun with it. Yeah. Uh, meet Caper, the, the Vizsla. He's part of the uh, podcast from now, every yes. now and again. Have a little shake there, Caper. Do you want to lie down or do you want to be on the radio, so to speak? Lie down. Go on your bed. Come on. <laughs> come on. Okay, I'll get you a treat and then we'll carry on. Bribery. Bribery sometimes works. Come, come, come. In. There. Lie down. Good boy. Lie down.
1: All the way. Good boy. I'm um, seeing your Peter Gabriel poster over there. The guy who's the 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 producing our record uh, uh, works has worked with Peter Gabriel quite a bit. Really? David Botcher. Yeah. Oh, cool. In fact, I think he either co-produced or was the assistant engineer on So.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Um, to work with somebody that has that reach. That that was the first uh, Gabriel record, nineteen seventy-seven, recorded in Toronto, of all places, right. by Bob Ezrin producing. There you go. Strange, right?
1: You mentioned Cracker too, the, the David Lowry, yeah, a while ago, and we became good friends with David and the and the uh, band. We played a bunch of shows with them, and you know, the first Lowest of Low that record, Shakespeare in My Butt, which ironically is is for sure in our catalog our most beloved record. Sure, is the one that sounds like poop. Really, I mean, <laughs> it was recorded as demos. And yeah. it, we recorded it in a sound fully. Uh, booth, we did the drums in a studio, but we went and did all the overdubs in a foley booth. So I was literally stra- straddling. For people who don't know what foley is, it's the the recorded sound for film, yeah the sound effects. So I was <laughs> straddling like a, a a trench full of gravel, you know, where they would walk and make their footstep sound effects and everything. And uh, so yeah, it's not. I listen to it and I can I, I wince a little bit at what I consider production flaws now. <laughs> but we released it and it, it became wildly popular. And then we made our next record we made with a guy named Don Smith, and it's because he had produced Kerosene Hat. And we were like, wow, you know, we're, we're not a dissimilar band to Cracker, and yeah. we love the sound of that record. Like, if Shakespeare had sounded like that, I <laughs> would be in heaven. So we worked with him, and then we had a pretty... We had not a, a less-than-good experience working with Don. And really? Yeah, and just... What was it like? There were some personal clashes with him. There was... I, I mean, I, I don't want to speak... ill of of the dead because he's passed since we worked with him but uh he we found him pretty racist and well it was like day two in and he has said some pretty pretty horrible things that i don't want to repeat uh here but i actually called the our uh manager and i said "Uh, what happens if i punch the producer in the face (laughs) and he said well we just paid him fifty thousand (laughs) dollars and i'm like so i'm stuck in a room with this guy for three weeks basically right and uh, have to sort of look the other way or you know, create a working relationship with somebody who I was finding pretty toxic and uh so there was a personal issue with it. There was also the fact that his next record after us was going to be with The Stones. So he was a little distracted. He was on the phone a lot. Like you were talking about Ryan Adams, he was on the phone a lot. Going, yeah, yeah, run that again, you know, while he was on the phone.
2: Oh, God. So we came
1: away with it. A, I was thinking, like because he also did some stuff with the hip, and I was like, yeah. I know Gord well enough, and I know David well enough. Like, this stuff, they must just not have seen any of this stuff, because I can't imagine them putting it up. They would have fought back, yeah. Yeah. So we didn't, have a, we didn't have a great experience with our first world-class producer. You know, the new record that we're making with, as I said, as David Bottrell is producing it, uh, is the complete polar opposite of that. He's a Thankfully. fantastic guy. And uh, the things, you know, the record is going really well. Not that he's not, you know, full of opinions and we sometimes have
0: to... <laughs> Give me an opinion then. start with one that he said that you didn't like and couldn't agree with. Is there one of those? Well, no.
1: Here's the, here's one for you, please. And it's one of the songs I'm going to play. This song called "The Barricade," which is uh, I have a real um, dodgy relationship with voting because I one half of me recognizes that there are times when you need to vote, like Allah, the president that's in the United States right now.
0: Vote, vote out, yeah,
1: yeah, uh, you know, yeah. He needs to be voted out. Had I been able to vote in the United States, I would have voted just to not have him be the president. But in general, over my life, I've my take on voting is a little bit that it's a bit of a swindle, and that. You know, no matter who you get in there, like, you know, I, I went to see uh, Michael Moore's movie, um, Fahrenheit eleven nine. I think it's about Donald Trump, but he uh, spends a little bit of time not speaking too well about Obama and some of the things that Obama was party to. And again, like we were talking about earlier, because he's the president, he's been voted in to be the president, but he's sitting on a machine that almost runs itself. For sure. So I feel like, you know, Donald Trump came to power on the basis of like draining the swamp and unfixing the rigged system that is in Washington. I agree with all those things that he said. I just knew he wasn't the person who was going to do that. Right? So, like, Bernie said the same things, and I think maybe Bernie would have tried to dismantle it. But so I, I, so I, that's the way I feel about it, is that most times it's kind of a swindle, it's something that you can do while you let the machine roll over you and, you know, do whatever it's going to do. So I had this song, and, and uh, there's a couple of lines in there that both David, the producer, and a couple of guys in the band just did not agree with. Uh, they're you know voting is something that they believe heartily in and that we've earned the right to do we got into it over that which is you know i was saying things in the song that doesn't represent how they see the world and so you know we're in a democracy in my band so it's like we had to kick it around and beat it back and forth and uh and see where we left with it and i said you know look i make solo records as well so i said i don't want anybody feeling like they're completely being misrepresented in the band
0: what was the thing that he disagreed with specifically?
1: Well, there's a line in the song, um, some vote with their heads, some vote with their hearts, some vote with the end of their dicks. You can vote with a ballot, you can vote with your wallet, but it's always a vote for the pricks. So let me tell you this for free, my next vote's with a brick from somewhere beyond the barricade, beyond the lies and the rhetoric. So I think they didn't like the implied violence of it, they didn't like the, you know... And we had a discussion about, you know, you guys know me, I'm not a violent guy. But I also, you know, I, I also know that things change in the world an awful lot of times because of the implication of violence. If we if we march a million strong down the street in favor of something, there's an implied violence there. There's an implied, like, we're coming to the table to demand something. There's a force, yeah. And we need to compromise or else. So they, I don't think the guys liked that, uh, the extension of that logic. So I, you know.
0: It reminds me, and this came up the other day when the Honey Runners were here to do a podcast episode 43. This is 44 with you, Ron Hawkins. It reminded me of Lennon. It all comes back to the goddamn Beatles. And I say that Mm -hmm. with with reverence and respect and admiration. John, the idea that, you know, in revolution, when he, he, don't you know that you can count me out? And then he said, in, because it could go either way. Uh, I'm I'm a pacifist. I'm a peaceful man. But when the shit hits the fan and it's in my own backyard and it's, you know, you or me or or you or my wife and kids, maybe the revolution is on and maybe you can count me in. Yeah. After all, you know, it depends on context.
1: That's one of the things I respect about him is he sort of bounced that ball back and forth for the latter part of his life, right, trying to figure out where exactly he stood. To suggest a revolution, you're opening a box that you can't put the lid back on and it can be very unsavory, obviously, and there's a lot of people who are going to suffer. So you can't take that stance lately.
0: So the song's called The Barricade. It's from the forthcoming record, which will be out this spring?
1: It will be out May something, May 15th.
0: Ron Hawkins of Lowest of the Low is here. And uh, do it for us, The Barricade. Mm-hmm.
2: When all the roads you see from your door Lead one way and the other way And all the waves that crash on your show Carry sailors' bones from shipwrecked days when all those vicious Handcuffed words Constrict, contract, constrain Well I'll meet you On the barricade In the cool, of fine rain I want you and your brothers Tell on to your mothers The story and unwritten page How she read she said she did school She paid for the bars on your cage And you played a poison violin In a symphony of rage Now it's time you traded that fucker in For a place on the barricade The judge in the hour of the barricade, with your green eyes and your battle cries are the sweetest warnings heard. But the only ring can dismantle this thing is the sound of a siren heard by the children of apostasy who. Will rescue this wretched world. Here yeah, they'll join their hands like a barricade, like an insolent fistful of pearls. their hearts and some vote with the end of their dicks. Well you can vote with a ballot, you can vote with your wallet, but it's always a vote for the pricks. So let me tell you this for free, or my next vote's with a brick. I'll somewhere behind the barricade, beyond the lies and the rhetoric on the barricade I'll be sure to take your hand Honey, I'll help you build your barricade on the grave of this sleepwalking land <laughs> was
0: great. The Barricade, the new album's called Agit-pop. Agit-pop.
1: There's a phrase called agit-prop, which is agitational propaganda. So we kind of hijacked it and turned it into agit-pop.
0: I noticed on your guitar you've got a propaganda sticker too? Yeah. Uh, what else is on your guitar? Yes Boy, what's that reference to?
1: Uh, that's our record label back in the day. Our entire Newfie crew, our Sandman was a Newf, and Monitor Man and everybody, and they would just say, Yes Boy! All the time. <laughs> so when it came time to make a record label for ourselves, we decided we should call it Yes Boy Records.
0: And what else is on your guitar?
1: And then there's apparently this very famous Johnny Cash photograph. <laughs> apparently Johnny took out uh, as far as I know he took out an ad in in some Nashville newspaper because he didn't think that they were the establishment in Nashville was recognizing these sort of new bad boy country guys and he's holding up a certain thing <laughs> in his hand.
0: That is a classic shot and and I don't know if you recall that's 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 a, a piece of art a picture that's been painted into the wall of the club you're doing tonight, the Crowbar mm-hmm. and Variety, yeah, where yeah. you and I are going to be on stage doing a similar interview to this one right now. Apparently, uh, they've only had one complaint since it's become a restaurant rather than just a bar. It used to be called right. the Casbar, Now it's the Crowbar. So Steve Vipon told me they had one complaint from a from a woman who... Who swore she, I think it was a woman who swore she would never come back unless they got rid of that Johnny Cash. <laughs> uh, again, it speaks to intent. I mean, he's not, he's not giving you the finger, ma'am. Just enjoy your uh, yeah. linguine and have another glass of Chardonnay. You gotta love Johnny Cash. Did you see the Cash documentary about Cash and Nixon? It's on Netflix now. You yeah, have no. to see it. Yeah. You're going to love it. He stood up to Nixon in a way that was second to none. So Nixon wanted to have Johnny play the White House because Johnny was connecting with the everyman. Right. And, and, and you know you want to connect with the everyman, so you have the guy in to perform, so you can, feel, you can, you can take ownership of that. You can, you can take credit for Johnny's connection with. So, and he told Johnny what the songs he wanted him to play. One wasn't even a cash song. Uh, and the other one was, but it was a cash song that wasn't anything Johnny wanted to play because it was just light fluff pop, ish compared right. to his more political stuff. And never agrees to play those songs, but it's assumed that he's going to because the president wanted you to. And and we got to listen to these kids because they have something to say and it's something important. Right. And you should see you should see Nixon's face. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's it's so watch that. It's right up your alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many great documentaries oh my god watch the one about coal mining too those are my recommendations in Virginia just
1: for a for a happy Saturday night
0: well, you know that's what I do. It probably was a Friday that I watched it. I'm like, I'm going to stay home, not go to the bar and have too many drinks. I'm going to watch this thing on coal mining because I don't know anything about the industry other than it's probably full of oppression. And it was beyond belief, political and corporate. And you're going to get your black lung, and and then as soon as you do, we're going to kick you out of your, your your whole family out of your house because you're not there to work anymore, and your wife and kids can go eat shit, and the coal company makes money. And so that struck me and God I do go off that struck me when Trump got in
1: he's bringing it back let's bring back coal is an option for uh, are you fucked
0: yeah well yeah you are fucked but really coal what year are we going back to well a hundred years
1: the cynical part of me thinks he never meant it he doesn't care Uh, you know it's a way for him to get well, just like, you know, Mexico's going to pay for it. I and mean, it's a way for him <sighs> to get these votes and then yeah. not deliver on any of them. He's not going to you know? deliver on a
0: goddamn thing. Yeah, it's just grandstanding for, uh, for votes. I had a couple other things I wanted to cover before you played again. First of all, I wanted to say, I've heard three of the new songs, demos, that, that you're not going to do here now. But they are coming out on the record, presumably. Mm-hmm. Uh, Permanent Revolution, since we were talking revolution. Uh, give me just a tidbit about that song. Will it make the record?
1: Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's when it's funny, because we were talking about... uh, You were mentioning Oasis, and it's like... uh, That's one where I started to write... I mean, permanent revolution is a phrase that Marx used and also Leon Trotsky used, and I thought I would nab it and sort of expand on it to say, you know, like, we've... we've, uh, The theme of that song is sort of like, once and for all, we need a revolution that's going to stick and be be democratic and be uh, led by the people and serve the people. Right. And uh, I started writing the song, and then I, I... I just couldn't help but for some reason I started singing it like uh like Liam Gallagher and just all that snotty energy that he has and I and I look at that and it's like you know if you could put Liam Gallagher's snotty energy to use I mean almost like Johnny Rotten like you know use it for good instead of just sort of (laughs) navel gazing rockstar done it would be awesome right so that's what I was kind of trying to do is like let's write this kind of big oasis-y pop song and you know but but, you know, hijack it to the use of, like, writing these political lyrics for it.
0: Oh, good. I love that. What a combination. Um, and A Thousand Lights, which is another great song. Uh, tell us a bit about that, so that when we look forward to the record coming in May, we can uh, we can hear yeah, it. Yeah,
1: A Thousand Lights is kind of like, I, I was saying, you know, the ones, like, there's a song called Midnight Marianne that I'll play, uh, A Thousand Lights, uh, there's a song called 7A, and those are all about, People, I, I've known a lot of kids, and a lot of uh, a lot of kids that have anxiety. We were talking about anxiety, yeah. modern, uh, the rise in anxiety in kids these days, and and uh, you know they, on so many levels, like they don't have the sort of free range, youth that we had when we were kids, just run out, you know, come back when the lights are on, kind of vibe, which is I think so healthy for you in so many ways. And they're you know they're sort of held hostage by their devices a lot, and there's and devices being so seductive. I mean, I work with I work with software to record my songs and my demos and my basement sure. and everything, and I know how seductive it is. It's like, it's amazing to dive into that screen and just go in there. And, and but uh, kids before they've had, maybe the restraint you know to to know when to cut it off. I mean, they're saying that there's a rise in anxiety, there's a rise in depression, and it, you can almost see it linked to amounts of hours, glued in front of a device because you're not really socializing. You're in your head, you're inside it.
0: Yeah, you're not socializing and you're also not getting some old-fashioned exercise. You know, we'd ride our bikes to the woods every day all summer long and we'd swim and we'd run and we'd, you know, know, ride and there was no devices to distract you. The thing about the whole that's all legit and that's all relevant and that's all true, but the whole idea of, you know, modern media being so uh, ubiquitous and and pervasive and, and you know, that parents give the kids devices to babysit them, whether it was TV when we were younger, for some of us. Now it's a screen or a video game or whatever the
1: fuck you call them. Well, the other thing I find with it, too, is that you're held ransom by the fact that, uh, like, you know, I consider myself a very involved dad, very active dad, but and we held off getting uh, Ruby, who's our daughter, holding off getting her a phone, right? And I said, you know, like, she's now in grade 7. And it's like, by the time they're in grade 7 or grade 8, if she doesn't have a phone then she becomes kind of this pariah, you know, like She's For sort of sure. outside of the group. And that because that's the way they socialize, you know, if you don't get her a phone or if you don't allow her to use that kind of technology, you're kind of dooming her to be a hermit.
0: But you, as I understand yeah. it, I don't, have, one, don't yeah. have a cell phone. So I tell us it. about that. How how impractical has that been
1: and how great has that been? Uh, well, I've, I've not found it impractical at all. In okay. fact, uh, you know... It touches me so much that David, uh, the producer, I had a couple of shows, uh, Hamilton and Buffalo, uh, on the weekend and, you know, left and I, I got an email from him and he said, you know, yeah, I going out doing these shows. He's like, you don't have a phone. and He said, respect. And I was like, <laughs> it's just, I just get in the car and I drive to Hamilton and then I drive to Buffalo and I do my shows and I drive home. I don't know what's worthy of respect, you know, to do that without a phone. But I think we've come to a point in time, like when we had Ruby, uh, when she was just little, I didn't have a phone, and they said, well, you're gonna get a phone now, right? And I was like, no, and they're like, well, you're a father. And I'm like, yeah, for 500,000 years, fathers haven't had phones." phone. You know, I get a lot of, a sort of a split of like, people who look at me either like I'm from space, or like, what is wrong with you, yeah. or, I envy you. I wish I didn't have a phone. And it's like you could smash your phone. <laughs>
0: Russell Brand talks about fear of missing out, and I think it relates. You know, what are well, you missing out clip. on? Yeah, I saw right? That clip, right? A it's clip. a great clip. He's like, he's like, you know, I don't drink and do drugs anymore. And yeah, there's that party everyone's supposed to be at. And he goes, I show up, and you know,
1: I I, I
0: could be at home doing.
1: And I love that he goes, you know, those red carpet things. He goes, like, you get there, and you finally get there, and you go to them. And he goes, you realize. Nobody wants to be there. I <laughs> yeah. want to be at home, right? <laughs> Missing out on my couch. Uh, um,
0: no, I applaud it. Your, your, uh, well, Catherine, who who did the the images for your box set, Shakespeare, my box, lowest to the low, said. Uh, oh, by the way, he doesn't have a cell phone, so he'll be there too. And sure enough, you were here close to two. Thank close you. To two. <laughs>
2: but
1: that's the uh, you know, but that's the thing is when you ask me like you know how much of an inconvenience is it? It's like it's zero inconvenience to me. It's probably an inconvenience to Catherine once in a while, and sure. sometimes you know, uh, in an emergency, the guys in my band will go, "Well, yeah, you don't have a phone, but if there's an emergency, you use my phone."
2: Right?
0: <laughs> that's right. Thanks for being in my band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you ten bucks towards your phone. But for band. me, I
1: don't even I don't even really understand the question. It's like. I don't know what I would need a phone for, other than, you know, I, I just know that, as I said, I'm I'm as um, liable to the seduction of it as anybody, and I know if I had one, I would be looking at it. You'd be on it, and yeah. I, and I don't really want to be.
0: So. Well, my girlfriend has three kids, and they're quite young, and... uh she doesn't and I respect her for this she doesn't like to be on the phone a lot with her friends or family or me or anybody when her kids are all around she wants to give them more attention than than these parents that are always on their goddamn phone you know and it's a little frustrating for me because we're living in this texting relationship now right. which has its own multitude of challenges because we you know text her for information they're not for deep meaningful communication However, we've gotten past that. Spotify recently uh, talked about um, investing four to $500 million in 2019 into podcasting, which we're doing right now, episode 44 with Ron Hawkins. And and I thought that was great because I have a podcast. And, and why not put money into something that cognizance of screen time being such a problem for your eyes as a kid or any age? audio would come back, <laughs> like the old days of radio, right. hanging out around the radio instead of around the television, which became ubiquitous. The idea of a podcast, you can close your eyes, put your earphones in, or just listen to it, and it doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt as much. That's kind of a full circle to yeah. go from the much music uh, MTV generation to uh, handheld and, and, and video games, and, and, and then maybe, maybe moving away from screen time, because now they have, I don't know if you know this, but devices, they tell you how much time you spend mm-hmm, on Instagram sure. or yeah. or any any app, and and people are kind of like comparing, oh my God, I was on there for three hours yesterday, maybe that's not good. Yeah. Or, or Jenny or, or Jimmy were on for four hours, maybe that's not good for their eyes. Imagine we go back to audio. Let's go back to records and radio.
1: I bet that the reason we're doing that is because, like, think about what you're saying. Like, I think podcast i think audio has something baked into it that is harder to manipulate it's harder to make ephemeral garbage audio i think you know what i mean like so maybe that's what it is maybe people just come back with these cycles of what we need as humans which is that real information real give and take real sustenance you know
0: of course the corporations will go whichever way the wind blows but but sometimes the wind sometimes blows in a good way. It. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes it works you know, out.
1: This is a really interesting uh, topic because I used to do interviews <laughs> for Chart Magazine and I got the gig to go and interview Rage Against the Machine. And among other things, I said to them, I said, man, because I was you know, having issues with my label talking about things we wanted to do that they were like uh, not cool with at the time. And I said, you guys must have a fight on your hands every day of the week. And they were like, Nope. They said, you know what, we make, we make whatever the label, let's say it was Universal. We make Universal so much money that we never hear a peep. And I'm like, Zach de la Roca, a singer, he's giving money and buying guns for the Zapatistas in Mexico. I'm like, they don't have an issue with that? And he's like, we never heard about it. <laughs>
0: as long as the tap is flowing, they're not bothering yeah. us.
1: if you're a, a giant capitalist machine. You
0: know. <laughs> I worked for Epic, who they recorded oh, it for it? at okay. the time, yeah. And that and that first record, good God, I mean, all their records, in my estimation, are are fucking brilliant. But yeah, it's amazing how they leave you alone when the money is coming in. A blind eye to whatever the fuck it is you're doing. What else do you want to do? Something else new. And then maybe a cover. Sure.
1: Well, let's do uh, this. is a song called Midnight Marianne, which is one of the, as you'll notice, you know, gets out of the realm of the political and into the realm of the personal. And just talking to somebody, talking to a person who you understand is an amazing person but they don't see it in themselves oh, go like this here
2: Midnight, Marianne, don't you understand that you Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: That's from the new record. That's from the new record. Agit Pop out in um, May. Ron Hawkins here from the lowest to the low. And you'll do a tour. Will you go all over the country and beyond?
1: Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, we've, you know, back in the day we would do England and parts of the States and across this great nation too many times a year. (laughs) In the winter. Always in the winter. How can we be out here again in the
0: winter? Uh, Where would you like to go in the
1: world that you haven't been yet? Uh to play I mean I've been to a lot of places by like to travel, but I, I've never been with the band to like Spain. I'd love to go to Barcelona. Barcelona is one of my favorite cities in the world, so I'd love to go there with the band.
0: Have it's you been to Berlin?
1: Not been to Berlin, no.
0: it has been intriguing me lately. People keep talking about Berlin, places like Warsaw and,
1: yeah, and more in the east. Yeah.
0: What's the purpose of a song, Ron? What's the job of a song?
1: To me, I think a job of a song is to well, I'll deflect it as far as my songs are concerned and just give you a Billy Bragg story, which is that I used to go see Billy Bragg every year, probably from seventeen on. Every year in Toronto at the Masonic Temple, it seemed he always always there at the concert hall. Yeah. And um, two things I noticed were that he seemed to this was just him and a guitar usually. It seemed like he maybe was doing jumping jacks backstage or something because <laughs> he seemed to always like fly out of the out of the wings <laughs> onto the stage as if he'd already been, you know, as I say, like la- lapping the dressing room or something. And there was so much tangible energy in his set that I I was left there feeling like, you know, I, I happen to be a musician, so I would go home wanting to write songs or whatever. But I think Billy's thing was sort of like, you know, it doesn't matter what you do in your life, just go out into your life. I hope that you leave my shows and you go out in your life and just are the best baker. You know, you're the best bus driver, whatever you, it is that you do, you do it with some kind of passion. You know? <laughs> and so I, that always stuck with me. And uh, many, many years later, not too many years ago, I did a cross Canada tour with Bill, and um, I would see him every night. Manage, I don't know, he was probably in his mid fifties by then. Managed to muster this energy, and then the second thing I loved about it was if I if I wasn't cynical, but if I had been cynical by that point, I would see him every night come out afterwards and go to the merch table, and there'd be a hundred people at the merch table, and he would talk to every single person, and not about you know his last record or how great he is, but like what's going on in their neighborhood who's you know how who's being treated unfairly who's being treated well you know what's your what's your family like just real stuff you know and I I started joking about I said to him he didn't get the reference of course at first till I explained it but I said you know you're like the the Gordie Howe of socialism (laughs) and I said Gordie Howe used to be this hockey player in the NHL and I said you know the the myth is that they would be flicking the lights gordy go home you know because there would be a kid another kid that wanted an autograph and he wouldn't leave till the (laughs) till he signed all the autographs for every kid that wanted one and i said you know you're like the the gordy Howe socialism because i just saw it every night (laughs) and it didn't matter where we are and it didn't matter whether he was tired or he wasn't tired he was just he's just the real deal so i think that's what a song is so i take that
0: inspiration really
1: inspiration to to just you know there's there's not enough things in our life that that make us want to get up in the morning or that make us want to leave the house and be awesome, you know, yeah. and be good to each other and just support each other and do great work in the world. And, you know, I think a great song can do that, you know.
0: And when the record comes out in May, are you going to do vinyl?
1: Yeah, vinyl. It's a double gatefold vinyl. But again, I keep thinking of like The Clash because I it, every now and then I'll have to go back and, you know, we, we did have to sort of make our case for why we were making a 14 song record <laughs> that becomes double gatefold vinyl even with David the producer who's all gung-ho about songs loves the songs and everything he's like that's an ambitious bit of work we're doing we booked I booked 14 days for 14 songs which is apparently incredibly ambitious that was in Mexico um, and I got back January 11th and we started then and I'd already booked May 31st for our release party sort of in a way to sort of Slap my hands together and go, okay, lads, here we go. <laughs> it's got to get done. Yeah, pressure's on. That's going to be a big empty room. <laughs> have something to uh,
0: End of May, Toronto, Danforth Musical. Uh, music from the brand new Lowest to the Low record. Come back and, and play the area. Uh, do one more song before you split. What do you want to do? Sure. Can you do a cover? I'm uh, going
1: to do a Billy Bragg cover because uh, this is one of the songs I remember from the early days and being so excited to be a songwriter. And it's unfortunately, it's timely again politically for us all, called Help to Save the Youth of America.
0: Billy Bragg song, help save the youth of America. Uh, Ron Hawkins, lowest of the lowest. Yeah, it was great to meet you, Ron Hawkins. Yeah, you. And I'll, I'll see you tonight at Crow Barn Variety for the Crow Sessions, and I'll look forward yeah, to your, your record in May. I'm Matt Kundel, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your
1: ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify,
0: Amazon Music, or at SoundOffPodcast.com.
2: I'm Andrea Askowitz, and I'm Allison
1: Langer.